I'm Fathery. This is Dave. And this is Text Trek. Engage. back aboard the Starship Texas for the 246th installment of the Text Trek podcast, the home of Star Trek fandom from deep in the heart of Texas, where we take a deep look at Star Trek old and new. And tonight we're talking about Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra Per Aspera, written by Dana Horgan and directed by Valerie Wise. Uh, and uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about in this episode. I see it's already like stirred up a lot of conversation online uh and you know it's kind of it's kind of a return to a traditional good old-fashioned star trek courtroom episode mm-hmm. what was the uh what's the tos big one uh the the big episode about like a court martial yep that would be the one yeah, so court martial uh, it was yeah, it was a tos it. episode that had a tng style name you know? <laughs> uh not uh where is is my brother in the midst of the court martial yeah, yeah something <laughs> like that um, and then, yeah, of course, Measure of a Man, and there's, you know, uh, uh, several others, um, but those those are some of the touchstones. Yeah, yeah, they definitely drew a lot of a lot of inspiration from those for uh, for this episode. Uh, we'll, we'll also clearly be uh, t- talking about a little bit of Trek news that needs to be talked about. Yeah, well, we like to, uh, you know, recap the, the big news every week, so. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, we should get on with the, the housekeeping. Uh, I have to give a big thank you and shout out to the Text Trek Patreon supporters who make the show possible. So thank you so much, Starfleet Sohel, Cake is Eternal, Crazy Dutchie, Joanne Robertson, John Daw, Geek Filter, Quarksbar, Ben Genium, Stephanie Durantas, Matthew Averett, and our anonymous supporters. Uh, we like to do a monthly watch party with our patrons. We just did a, a fun one celebrating a patron's birthday. If you come in at the bridge crew level, you get to pick what we watch in the watch party on your birthday month. And you can even do two-parters or movies. So uh, Ben Genium thought it'd be a good idea for us to watch the DS9 two-parter Improbable Cause, and The Die is Cast. Uh, We did that a few days ago. Uh, July 15th, we're having our July watch party. And Bridge Crew patron, uh, well, I don't know if she wants me to to say who she is, but uh, has selected a Voyager episode, Flashback. Yeah, yeah. But we're also going to watch the Excelsior scenes from Star Trek VI. So we're going to see Sulu command the excelsior in star trek 6 and see him command the excelsior in voyager i like that we had we had a lot of fun with the voyager uh two-parter a couple months back future's end uh yes yes future's end parts one and two i don't know why i couldn't remember that i had to say it like a thousand times uh 
Father, there's like 800 plus episodes of Star Trek. It's okay. It's, for people who don't know, like my day job is like actively trying to murder me. I'm having to work like a shitload of overtime. So I apologize. I'm going to be in a, in a cranky mood. Probably uh, it's going to be worse next week because I'm going to have to work a shitload this weekend and next week. And they want me uh, in the office until 6 p.m. So an hour before the show starts Friday. And it's uh, pretty, uh, pretty terrible. But hopefully it gets easier after that. Yeah, that sucks. But, uh, you know, it helps uh, pay the bills so we can keep doing this. Sh- this is this is my real job. This is this is the job I find fulfilling. It right. must be weird if you could like pay your bills and like like your job. That always baffles me. But I, I know some people live th- like that. So I'm very happy for anyone. I have who can. at least a, po- a portion of that. <laughs> I've never worked anywhere where I wasn't like, I hate this organization and I hope it just gets destroyed. <laughs> but uh, anyways, enough about me, though. Uh, let's talk about some Star Trek news. There was a, a comic book announcement this week. We're going to get to see John Luke at the Academy. Uh, that's coming out in September. It looks fun. I like that the uh, the art's a little stylized. It kind of has a little youthful, energetic kind of vibe to it. Yeah, we'll see. I think the art's actually going to it's gonna hurt it. I don't think the Trek readers are going to gravitate think, to that. But I, I don't I mean, know. I might be wrong. It's good that they're experimenting, so we'll find out. I'd love to I be I think wrong. we need to see what the vibe of it is like. I, I, you know, I don't think I want, like, a photorealistically drawn uh, young Picard. I, I think that, you know, this is... I bet they're going to want the vibe that's more like kind of like that at Legion of Superheroes for people who know DC. It's their far-flung future yes. superheroes. Yeah, when, when I talked to uh, the, the Star Trek comic editor, uh, Heather Antos, recently, she mm-hmm. one of the things she talked about was like they want to publish books that comic book readers who might not necessarily be Star Trek fans or not really dedicated Star Trek fans, but they would like cross over into the Star Trek comics. And uh, this definitely seems like an exercise in that mm. uh, that, philosophy. Yeah, yeah. that philosophy. I don't know if it'll work, uh, but I wish all the people at IDW good luck, and uh, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. I don't think it's like the direction I would have gone in, but I'm still curious about trying it, and I, I hope that I enjoy it myself. It's it it's it was pretty high on my list of uh, you know if they were going to announce Trek stuff. I this this is a this is one that interests me. It's both uh, I think it's got both commercial appeal because of Picard just innately, and uh, like arguably presages uh, the academy show they're doing but through a very specific lens reveals something you know an era we don't know about him the cocky well we know a little uh, the cocky younger picard right the the opposite of of kirk if people who want to choose to believe kirk was like a <laughs> like a, a big dork when he was right a, a youngster but then like became like this maverick cowboy like picard did the opposite he started off as as the the rogue and then he he became the, like the mature statesman uh, over i have over a feeling decades. though he was like a a roguish intellectual, though, a little bit, like at least a little bit there. Yeah, yeah, he was like, he's like the uh, the asshole jock who's like also like makes like straight A's and like <laughs> that was like his brother's whole thing was like, uh-huh. yeah, you were good at everything. You're like the straight A student. You were the best athlete. You were like, you know, he's like the wonder kid. Yeah, yeah which is kind of weird because normally you don't focus on that guy as your protagonist. Normally, when you're telling these stories about young people, you go with like the underdog. The underdog. But what if yeah. I don't know? Maybe he arrives at the academy and everyone's like, "Oh, you thought you were hot shit back in France, back in La Bar, but you know, we're the best of the best. Everyone's a fucking badass here." So I mean, that's just that's a definitely a story to tell, and I yeah. know most every like kind of nerdy smart person. Either when they go to high school or college and they really see some competition. Oh yeah, yeah, it can be it can be soul crushing. Yeah, <laughs> not to use a, a term that's a little tender right now, but Picard was something of a prodigy. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of that, you know our our other Starfleet youngsters. There is some uh, news that came out today, day of recording, that yes, yeah, Star Trek Prodigy will be ending and also leaving Paramount Plus. So just to uh, 
just to clarify a few things, I, I, I think there's some confusion online. So uh, I, I don't know, Dave, where should where should we begin with that one? Uh, so my I, I've only had time to, like, skim a few things. Um, but let, let me ask the like the burning question is Prodigy gone forever? Well, uh, that would appear to be the case. Uh, however, there's. Still, I mean, gone from existence, no more stories ever? <laughs> there's there's 20 episodes that uh, mm-hmm. are, are still coming out. So uh, if, if people recall, when, when Prodigy was originally announced, it was an order for 20 episodes, and they're going to do 10 episode seasons. However, when that was in production, or pre-production, I don't remember like the exact time of, of year, whenever it was, but uh, at some point a decision was made like, oh, we, we like the way that this looks. We actually want to extend that order from 20 episodes to 40 episodes and release it as two 20-episode season, seasons, which is, mm-hmm. that's already kind of confusing because Prodigy comes out in, in like these 10-episode batches. Or the, I mean, the first time it was just five here and then five there, but I mean, the, the, they consider 20 episodes a season. So out of seasons one and season two that have been that have been ordered that are you know on the way we've only gotten half of that we've only gotten twenty of our forty prodigy episodes that you know we've been promised that we are definitely going to receive uh, the the thing that has changed as of as of today is that those uh, remaining twenty episodes will not come out on Paramount Plus the show will have to find another home uh, it is still you know owned by Paramount Global, the large, you know, formerly known as Viacom, big parent company that owns Paramount Plus, that owns Nickelodeon. But they're they're following a trend that uh, David Zaslav at uh, Discovery Warner and uh, Disney uh, has, has, I guess, popularized, and that is slashing content in order to cut cost. And they, they really seem to go after animated shows because i guess mm-hmm. like that's less popular to watch so you know they they were had bruce tim who's a legend in the world of animation created what a lot of people consider like the best animated show ever with batman the animated series in the 90s returning to do a new batman animated series and the most popular intellectual property that warner brothers owns is probably batman that's bigger than harry potter and game of thrones put together right and even that this new bruce tim animated batman show got cut from HBO Max, or Max now, as they're calling it. They had to shop that around, and it found a new home on Amazon. So I guess that's what's going to happen here. I hope that Prodigy doesn't end up on Amazon. Uh, I don't have Amazon Prime. I don't plan on getting it. Uh, I I am very uh, disappointed myself because I thought it was a a great thing for one streaming service, one platform to be the home of all the Star Trek shows. We finally just got the movies back on there. You know, they they, uh, leased the movies off to, to... max for a little bit and we finally just got all of our movies back and, and now we're losing the show because they're all, they're not just going to put the new episodes of prodigy on a different streaming service somewhere but they're taking the current 20 episodes of prodigy season one of prodigy they're taking it down in a few days from paramount plus so i i owned the first 10 episodes on blu-ray it got released there hasn't been any word on if the if season one b or season one part two if those mm-hmm. 10 are getting released anywhere yeah, I mean, hopefully, uh, you, but we also live in an era where not every show gets a physical media release. And with Star Trek Lower Decks season three, they didn't they, they made that like a, a print on demand thing. They didn't even like, you know, stock that in stores. You have to like special order a Lower Decks season three. And I know Lower Decks probably trends much better than Prodigy. So is Prodigy, are they going to get any more Blu-ray releases? I have no idea, but that's very disheartening. Uh, you know, I want to have access to every episode of Star Trek at all times. So, yes, yeah, it's very, very uh, disappointing. But, you know, the good news is 
Uh, we're, we're going to get the, the rest of the show. We're going to get to finish the original 40-episode story that they had been planning from before the show had even premiered. Mm-hmm. They'll probably get to the big conclusion of uh, all the events with... Uh, who's who's the daughter of the bad guy? Gwen? Gwen, yeah. And, and, and you know, uh, I mean, we've already reached a big landmark in that, but, that you know, we'll probably see that more or less wrapped and, and see, you know, the fate of Chakotay and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and there is always a possibility the show is only going to be 40 episodes long. Before the show even premiered, that was a, that was a likely fate. You know, I always rooted for it to get renewed and get more, but I understand, you know, in the world of animation, uh, what, Nickelodeon... Uh, funded a, a lot of the show and and they don't they don't tend to buy you know more than than two or three seasons of, of a show so it was always a very very likely possibility we would only get 40 episodes and then be done um, now father so, is there a possibility that uh where whatever platform it ends up at will pursue further seasons I, and it would be possible i think that is 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 not very likely though i think we're just gonna get yeah. i mean anything's i mean it could be like you know in 10 years there's like a bunch of like Kids who like grew up on Prodigy are like, we want to like bring it back, and there's like a big Prodigy revival. I mean, you know that. Ha- How many times has Futurama come back to life? Uh, right. But I don't Things think that's are a little different. Yeah, I don't think that's very likely for a, a, an all ages show. That uh, I, I don't know. Like, uh, there was a lot of people who like really seemed to believe in it. Alex Kurtzman had a lot of faith in the show. He talked about like, oh, uh, when End of the Spider Verse made a bunch of money, he's like, we should do a Prodigy movie. Like, you know, uh, a lot of people had like a lot of faith in this. People at Nickelodeon seemed to be really into it. But uh, but yeah, we we are in an era where the streaming services are trying to uh, you know cut cost, and because it did work with uh, HBO Max, you know they they turned everyone you know got mad rightfully so you know when there's you know this Batgirl movie they've been promising and stuff like it just gets destroyed just you know we're just gonna throw away an entire movie for a tax write off, but it succeeded they they became profitable so it's uh, not a huge shock that this is is happening I don't like it I I wish that. Okay, if Disney is going to have like all the Marvel stuff and all the Star Wars stuff, I can just pay for Disney and have access to all of that. And, you know, all the DC stuff on HBO Max and have all the Star Trek stuff on Paramount Plus. I, I think it's worth paying for these different services if you get access to everything. And when they start, you know, shuffling things around, when they start, if they do like the revolving door where it's like, oh, we're going to have Star Trek Prodigy on for a few months, then it's going to go away. Maybe it'll come back. Oh, look, Voyager is here. Now Voyager is gone. Now Voyager is right, on no some consist- other platform. Like, yeah, There's no start, consistency or anything. If they start doing like that, like it's it's going to be it's going to be aggravating. And I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I, I have to pay for Paramount Plus just to have access to all these episodes to just to cover them. Just I need to be able to like pull out my phone and look up any episode of Star Trek at any time. But... Uh, yeah, if, if they're going to take away those options, I don't know, I don't know if Paramount Plus is something I'm going to pay for in the months when there's no new Star Trek, and it probably won't be. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an unfortunate direction, and, uh, but, I mean, the good news is we will see more Prodigy, I just don't know when, I don't know where. I'm also concerned, like, oh, what if it's, it's being released on some other platform at the same time that, say, uh, you know, Discovery, or Strange New Worlds, or Lower Decks, or Starfleet Academy... Or coming out on Paramount Plus, then like, do we try to cover both? Do we? I, hell, I I kind of feel obligated to cover Prodigy and ignore whatever Paramount Plus is doing that week. But I don't know that. I don't know that'd be like, you know, cutting off our our nose to spite our face and, and you know, like like drive away our audience when we're not covering the the latest shows like we're supposed to. So yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's 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 unsettling and it's disappointing. Father, uh, is there uh, are there uh, other shows on? Um... 
on Paramount Plus? Are the other Trek shows? Do we feel anything there is at risk, or is this? Yeah, I mean, there is like some other shows. Like I don't know. There's like some great well, I mean, spinoff uh, and among the Trek shows, just the oh. Trek shows. Yeah, uh, is Discovery? And well, we know Discovery is wrapping. Is Strange New Worlds going to end up on another streaming service? I I don't think there's any chance of that happening. They they're every every promo they do for Paramount Plus, it has like Sylvester Stallone, someone from Comedy Central, and Anson Mount. You know, like right. Uh, th- whenever they do like these events in in other countries, they were just doing something in London and the UK. Whenever they go to like promote Paramount Plus in a, in a new market, they always show off Strange New Worlds. That's their baby. That's the safest Star Trek show I think uh, we've had in a while. Uh, it, honestly, I think that's the, that's the basket they've put all their eggs in. How about Lower Decks? Lower Decks, I think, should be safe just because of uh, Mike McMahon runs a uh, a tight ship over there. They seem to be uh, consistently always, you know, like on time, under budget. Uh, people are really happy <laughs> over there. Uh, people mm-hmm. seem to like really like working on that show. So that's, um, it, it, you know, crazy, right? But yeah, like, I mean, uh, Mike McMahon seems to be, uh, you know, a really great showrunner and very consistent showrunner. And I, I think it's going to be, pr- I mean, we already know that we're getting a fifth season uh, next year. So mm. I, I think I would be surprised at this. I mean, that might be the end of Lower Decks. It might be five and done, you know, like Discovery. But uh, I'd be surprised if it didn't get if it didn't get a, another season or two. I don't know what else uh, to say about Prodigy other than um, please, if they do any more Blu-ray releases, please buy them so that they keep printing these so that we can own these so that we don't have to worry about like, oh, no, is this corporation going to take this down from their streaming platform and I won't have access to it? And and nice, you know, I, I know I know there's there's ways around that. I know that like the Internet has has other options, but I like to have like a nice beautiful clean presentation that has you know subtitles it has like special features it has like all of that stuff uh and i don't know to me it's like it's convenient to go like stick a disc into the playstation and not like you know have to deal with like looking for torrents online or something like Mm -hmm. that but i mean that's me that's where i come from um i i continue to support prodigy and the uh creatives over there and we will cover it we'll find a way to cover it uh and I'm I'm looking forward to the you know the good news we're only halfway done with Prodigy. If you've been liking Prodigy, we're you know if you've liked that journey so far, we're only halfway to the end. We still got that other 20 episodes to go. I'm looking forward to those in the near future. Yeah, the show uh, had a uh, a big uh, a big space battle that was better than the one on Picard. <laughs> yeah, I, so I mean, yeah, of course we're gonna stick honestly with it. like I know I know like Prodigy it probably hasn't hit like as many of, like, the highest highs of Star... You know, they, they haven't done, like, anything that's been, like, as beloved as, say, something like City on the Edge of Forever or The Inner Light or something like that. But it's consistently well-written on a level that, honestly, I don't think any other Star Trek show is. I don't know. Like, like how many times have we had, like, you know, a 20-episode run and, like, none of it sucked, you know? Like, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty impressive. It's I would say it's arguably the, the best-written Star Trek show. At least, like, arguably the most consistently... It would be great if it were to get five seasons, six seasons, seven seasons, and see what uh, something that starts that strong develops into. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's was maybe unlikely before. It's less likely now. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll, be, of course, be following it uh, as, as best we can. <laughs> uh, sorry to sour the mood for everyone, but uh, we'll, we'll move on to our main su- subject and talk about Strange New Worlds. Uh, I'm just going to quickly recap the episode by uh, reading the official synopsis, and I'll kind of expand on that with spoilers. But the official synopsis reads, Commander Unichin Riley faces court-martial along with possible imprisonment and dishonorable dismissal from Starfleet. And her defense 
is in the hands of a lawyer who's also a childhood friend with whom she has a terrible falling out. That is a god-awful, terrible run-on sentence that I hope I never have to see again the rest of my life. But uh, but yeah, Una's put on trial. Her childhood friend, who she had a falling out with, defends her. And, you know, the end of the day, as I predicted last week, uh, status quo restored. Una reinstated as first officer on the Enterprise. But the Federation has perhaps learned a lesson. Maybe this is what makes things a little easier for Dr. Bashir. And speaking of prodigy, Dow or L, uh, you know, many decades later in the 24th century. Yep. Yeah, we knew that they had um, certain constraints in an episode like this, which is that they can't say like, oh, yeah, at the end of the episode, the law is changed. It's like oh, we, we know from Trek history, that unless they're going to undo some of their biggest shows, they cannot do that. Yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, it was it was still, you know, even though I, I kind of knew how it was going to end, it was still a uh, fun watch. I'm just going to go ahead and, and kind of give some of my, uh, my my broad thoughts on the episode and, and then we'll ask Dave what he thinks. But uh, I would just say that I was really wanting season two of strange new worlds to give us a, a truly great episode and i was hoping that this would be it i'm not sure i'm not sure if it is i'm not sure if this stands on like the same level as say like i know the big ones it gets compared to is the drumhead and measure of a man uh i don't know I, it might be on that level for me or it might be you know not quite that good but like really close like like uh some of the episodes i think of uh, distant origin with the dinosaurs on Voyager. It was kind of a, a story about um, creationism uh, versus evolution, and and but on on a larger level, you know, like society and dogma and stuff like that. And I always thought like that was a, that was like a really solid episode that had a, a a great presentation of of this you know social dilemma it was trying to explore. So this might be like a little bit more on like that level, but that's still you know really good. Uh, I, I, I noticed like this episode has grown on me the more and more I watch it. I, I didn't quite know what to think when I initially checked it out, but on repeat viewings, I just noticed more thoughtful touches here and there. A lot of smaller things, a lot of subtle things, things that would, you know, easily go over my head if I didn't, you know, watch it a second time. Uh, but just the dialogue, there's a lot of really carefully chosen words that I think are there mm. to you know, parallel things going on in, in real life. Something like, Dave, you were talking about how they were kind of using some of the, the coding and uh, a broken circle last week. You know, Apelia talking about, like, coming out as, as a lanthanite and stuff like that. Like, you know, they were trying to connect, like, these these dots to... For sure. And then this episode had talk uh, of passing uh, yeah. Illyrians or augments. Yeah, so, you know, I guess one of the criticisms of this episode might be that it, it kind of... <laughs> doesn't commit to a lane it kind of it kind of feels like a big umbrella that can uh you know be used to represent uh, vast different uh marginalized people and those struggles but you know the more that i watch it, i think oh no this definitely does focus a little bit more on you know uh queer issues in recent years and the lgbt community and i think largely like the trans community you know there's there's strong echoes of you know don't ask don't tell uh, in here to, with, you know, when, when gay people were restricted from s- serving in, in the military, if they, in the United States, if they, if they were openly gay. Uh, but, you know, there's also recently like a, tr- a ban on, on transgender people in the military. A lot, you know, the talk about, you know, like, like modification that, you know, it, it, it is disturbing to some people, but, you know, these people, it's important, uh, stuff like that. So I, I think it was definitely, you know, leaning, leaning more onto recent, uh, trans and specifically in, in, but larger like LGBT issues. And uh, I, I, I definitely see how like other marginalized people can can find themselves, uh, you know, relating to stuff in here. And uh, you know, m- me and Dave are going to come at this as you know two uh, straight white guys who want to be you know good allies to everyone. Uh, but I, I should remind everyone that we're doing a 
second stream on the Text Trek YouTube channel. People come in on Thursdays. We have uh, so, some other voices, and we had a a, a great diverse panel uh, last night uh, talking about this episode. So people want you know like a little bit less less of a structured deep dive discussion, but a little bit more just kind of general uh, conversation among a group of people just expressing their reactions and quick thoughts to one another. Uh, you can find that on on the Text Trek YouTube channel on Thursday nights. But yeah, we had uh, queer people. We had uh, people of color at least one uh, Jewish guy. Uh, so yeah, we we had a, a, a bit of variety talking about this and, and I encourage people to check out those chats on, on Thursdays. Uh, mm-hmm. Dave, what, what do you think of this episode though? Uh, it's the episode I wanted the first episode to be. <laughs> sort of. Actually, that's not quite true. Um, no, I really like this episode, um, and and I did definitely like it more than the season or season opener. Uh, I think I said something last week, like I wanted more um, more talky talk than fighty fight or mm-hmm. something like that, and I got that, like in su- such a big way that uh, I thought it was very nuanced and it was an emotional episode, and uh, it managed to critique Starfleet without being, you know, making them the bad, just the bad guys. Uh, but I have to admit, a full-on trial episode is is not how you kick off a season. So I, I kind of understand why they didn't open with it. Um, yeah, I, I I get I get the desire of liking this more than the first, but I I, I don't know that kind of I, I I get why they would want to start with that one. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, you know, I, I I can say I wish I wish just wish I had liked the first episode a little better. I did I did still like it, but I wished I'd liked it more. This one I really liked. Like you, Fathery, I may be like wavering on like did I love the episode? I was moved several times throughout it. I thought it worked as a really well as a courtroom episode. Like it had traditional courtroom surprises, tensions, reversals uh, of fortune, uh, one or two moments of humor, not too many, but one or two that were pretty good. Um, I also something I, I thought about the second time I was watching it was that I kind of like that the really the three sort of leads uh, were all women in the episode. Uh, it's not it's not that there was like an, not some guys in the mix, but you had Rebecca Romaine as Una. Um, you had Captain Battelle um, as the prosecutor and Nira as the defense. And they got to really command the whole episode. Trek's traditionally been you know pretty forward thinking about uh you know gender diversity but i it's it's nice to, you know in the same except way except for on enterprise when we took like a big step back but. <laughs> that's that's true but in the same way that um you know it was notable to have scenes in the 90s in uh, ds9 that had you know exclusively black characters on the screen exclusively people of color uh, i liked that this one uh, had uh, so much interaction between women on the episode and i thought the actresses were doing just a bang up mm. job they were killing it yeah really really good performances I like that it was a story with some depth. Uh, Father, you mentioned, you know, that it is kind of uh, open to interpretation. You know, you can, you know, look at it as commenting on, uh, you know, different, different, uh, you know, persecuted minorities. And I think that's true. And I think there is some strength in in sort of having a somewhat general take on it at times, which is like the strength that the X-Men has always had. Like you can like the X-Men if you think that they're a stand in for uh, you know, the queer community for people of color, or if you just kind of feel like I'm just kind of a nerdy, different person, you know, I'm a kind of an outcast or whatever, the X-Men was there for you too. And, and so, you know, I think on one level, you could almost critique it for not being more specific, but I also think there's a strength in that. And maybe we can dive into that a little bit more as we go along. Uh, you know, I, I noticed things like the, the I really like the score in the episode, which reined in the kind of adventure side for uh, something a little more melancholy and sometimes even ominous. So th- to me, it was almost like just 
scene after scene that I liked. And uh, I, I would actually say for me, it was a great episode. Um, I, 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 will it stand up to some of those other courtroom episodes? The best of the best. Uh, I got to think about that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because I still want Strange New Worlds to get, you know, one of those, like, God-tier level episodes. You know, what, sure. Because what they, they haven't done one yet, unless this was it, you know, because TNG didn't do one until Measure of a Man. That was the example I gave last week. But uh, but that was, Measure of a Man was, what what season was that? Two. So, but that's that's pretty quick. <laughs> Arguably, <laughs> even though they had also giant-ass seasons. Well, let's go ahead and get to our episode breakdown. Let's just start off uh, talking about the the opening. You know, we we open with some some flashbacks. We don't know the full context, but we see young Una. Then we get her lawyer uh, recruited. Uh, just like with the the Una flashback stuff, uh, the, man, like that broken leg injury that she got. We we later learned that it was because I guess she there was a fight between two boys because one accused another of being an oh. I should mention, everyone's going to make fun of how I say Illyrian, because, uh, I don't know, I, I do, like, the, the hard I on the... Fr- it's the same way, like, I say, like, Italian, and people, like, get mad at me, like, I, I don't know, like, people in Texas talk like that sometimes, but... Yeah, be, I guess being called, like, an Illyrian, that's, like, like the like the ultimate, like, worst slur. Like, when I... The equivalent, like, when I was growing up, you know, it was a very homophobic time when, you know, if someone might call you, like, a homo or something like that, and it's, like... It's like a, a major insult back then. I think today, you know, if you call like if a kid calls another kid a homo, it'd be like, who cares, you know? But it's sort it's uh, lower level. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of become more generic. But the, these dudes, these dudes were going ape shit on one another. If they like busted her leg open like that, like how, like that's yeah. that's almost some of that like Star Trek loves to be like a little brutal these days. Like, uh, you know, like when Shaw busted up his leg on the Titan in, in Picard <laughs> yeah. season three. Yeah, uh, to showcase some special effects that aren't just lasers. They're like, look, we can show uh, what do you call it? compound fractures or whatever. But but you know they did. Uh, you know to, to take your point about the uh, the the Illyrian being used as like almost like a, like a racial epithet or uh, you know homophobic slur. Because we, you know, the Trek viewer haven't really encountered that. They had to take us on that journey mm. in this episode. They had to get to ultimately to um, Una on the stand recounting these stories and us kind of finding, uh, you know, I, I've, you know, I think certainly elements of our earthly history to compare it to as we're watching and think, oh, right. And I think the broken leg, it's like it's it's actually I think even that slightly gory image is like it sort of sends home that this is more than just, you know, a mild insult or the old thing that would lead parents to be like, oh, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words won't hurt you, which is not true at all, actually. <laughs> words can, you know, cause, of course, tremendous harm. <laughs> but the the plea deal they offer her, it sounds pretty good. Like, okay, we will just uh, let you be free. You just can't work in Starfleet anymore. And we don't want Starfleet to look bad, so we'll cover all this up. You know, if, if you've watched the episode already, you know, like, oh, Una is actually doing this to herself on purpose, which yeah. I, that was something like, I wasn't sure if I could get on board with the first time I watched it. Uh, just, but you know, if you go back and watch it a second time, her actions, I guess, make like a little bit more sense. I still don't understand why she would keep that a secret. Oh, right. It, it, right. Arguably it did drag a, a lot of people into chaos too. And, you know, kind of threw things into turmoil on the enterprise. It, it's, it works in, I think in a trial episode because it's kind of a neat reveal wherein she ends up actually having agency that we didn't realize she did. She's like, I decided I needed to come out and I wanted to put at risk my career in order to be who I really was with my friends and all that. And so 
is it kind of unlikely, you know, would she really have done it that way? Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's kind of big dramatic decisions. And I, I do think it works for something like Star Trek. But, it, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a stretch. Like, why wouldn't she tell everyone from the beginning? Like, why wouldn't she tell, like, her friend? Like, I guess, was she trying to appear more sympathetic and, like look like oh look how persecuted i am like someone ratted me out i mean because i i think that kind of no, undercut it. i think you know i think it was almost more like she wanted once she did it and maybe she even did it kind of spontaneously at some point you know decision one night you know after agonizing over something you know feeling like she was hiding out one too for too long she did it and i think in her mind she was kind of like it doesn't matter how it happened she wasn't really expecting it to be uncovered and she was like i just i want this to be decided i want to see if starfleet can live up to its ideals that's more important to me than the why of it so i think she i think she almost didn't care about it she just needed to she was compelled to do it. I was kind of confused the first time I watched also because she tells Captain Battelle, uh, I, I don't want this guy representing me. He works for you. And I was like, oh, like her Starfleet attorney like serves under Captain Battelle or something. That that seems weird. That seems like a conflict. Uh, but no, I think what she meant was like, uh, works for you isn't like he's Starfleet. I want like a civilian attorney. I want someone who's like not in right. Star. I want a Samuel T. Cogsley, who, by the way, they don't mention him at all. And I, th- I think that was kind of bold. I kind of applaud that like they re- were able to resist and create like this new character instead. They didn't do the small universe thing. Someone is going to write a book about uh, Nera and Cogley together at some point. I- I'm sure someone's already oh, pitching yeah. it. I-, I I know those dudes are already like you know chomping at the bit to tell that story. Big courtroom so. case with the yeah. two great litigators of the era. Yeah, but but no, she wants a non-Starfleet attorney. So Pike uh, risks his life. Uh, you know he he's like uh, basically like only has a few breaths of oxygen left in his in his oxygen tank, and he but he goes to recruit Una's old childhood friend Nera who happens to be a uh, phenomenal civil litigator. Mm-hmm. So what would you think of uh, Pike, you know, really sticking his neck out? Like he, like what was, I mean, like, was he just going to straight up die for this? Like if they hadn't, like, okay, you can have some oxygen. He probably could have gotten an emergency beam out or something like that. Also, you would think their masks might be a little bit better just against <laughs> almost anything but like raw acid rain coming down on your face or something. But yeah, like, you know, Star Trek is, is also a place of big ideas. And what they wanted to show was given his relatively small screen time that Pike was willing to really go to bat for her. He put it, put his health on the line. Uh, maybe that's that's one of those reasons why she probably should have told him that she <laughs> turned herself in. Um, yeah. But, um, but um, uh, you know, I liked that he, you know, in a way, Father, when you were talking about how good Riker was being at being a first officer in Picard season three, mm-hmm. in a weird way, it felt like he was being first officer to Una as if she was the captain in this one, where he's like, I'm going to do everything I do. I, I need to do to keep her where she needs to be. And, uh, you know, that included, you know, in her, his conversation with, uh, what's her, is it Nira? Yeah. The lawyer? Yeah. Nira Couture. He appealed kind of first to kind of like, I'm going to say sort of more high-minded stuff, but then I really liked, and this was something that I saw throughout the whole episode that I liked, was sort of an acknowledgement of somewhat brutal pragmatism, where he's just like, Hey, if you're the person who wins this, you could call a lot of attention to cases that you that you might otherwise be lost. Yeah, you, you um, have ten cases that got thrown out for not suffi- sufficient evidence, so you might be able to revisit those. 
and they shouldn't have been right. And and I was like, that's it's, you know, it's not dirty tactics. It's just prag, you know, pragmatic and, and dropping yeah. a little bit of the Starfleet idealism. But he, he found I, he found a lane where their agendas aligned. So right, I just got this, this the episode off onto a good foot with me. Uh, this this scene. I'm not really sure, like, if the planet that she's on, because that's in that same nebula. So I'm not really sure if that's supposed to be, like, the same planet that Una grew up on. Uh, but it it looks kind of different. But I think it might be a different planet or things radically changed. Because we know that, like, Una's planet, they were trying to, they wanted to become part of the Federation. They agreed not to do, you know, more genetic modification. There's, like, that provisional Federation, like, the provisional government thing going on there. But, you know, th- this planet that we see Nera on at the beginning of the episode, like, they're clearly like, no, we don't care about, like, non-Illyrians. Like, like humans can't even breathe our air. Like, we want to just genetically modify ourselves till the cows come home and do our own thing, and we don't care about the Federation. So, uh, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I would have liked a little bit more, I guess, uh, details on our... Well, first of all, like, is this the same planet? Or are they just, like, neighboring worlds in, like, the same nebula? Yeah, I guess in my head it was, but I also didn't think about it too, too much. Uh, by the way, I like the comment in uh, from Joel that uh, Pike took a crappy breather on purpose. That's his 3D chess. <laughs> uh, and I, I actually, I think that's a very reasonable interpretation. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, that guy could have come down in an environmental suit if he wanted, but he wanted to pressure and he wanted to get seen that day, that hour. <laughs> and but he was willing, he was willing to put his health at risk, probably could have gotten out if he needed to, though. <laughs> yeah, I see people in the in the chat are disappointed in the... <laughs> the the oxygen mask you know they probably don't have great oxygen masks on this planet to give visitors like they don't want them to hang out for too long you know like <laughs> but don't you think fathery that he might well have chosen that very intentionally sure i mean they could have made a point of it somebody... i like that i like joel's theory i like that somebody on the on the enterprise if we saw him beam back uh might have said like you know there's better breather units and he might have you know he could have said i know you know just like that and and we would know exactly that he was rolling some 3d chess well, I guess let's talk about, like, the, the road to the trial. Pike and Battelle have some tension. So they, they are still seeing each other somewhat regularly. I know Anson Mount uses the word girlfriend describing her. I don't I don't know what their exact relationship status is. I, th- I think they have, like, some, some form of open relationship. But it, it seems to yeah. be, like, an ongoing thing. So It seemed like, you know, the, it, what it looked to me at from the outside was a bit of friends with benefits. But, um, but like, pretty close friends. <laughs> um... That said, it doesn't. That side of it doesn't really crop up in this episode. Other than it's clear they have a personal connection to each other. Yeah, she just barges into his quarters when he's in like the middle of dinner. So like, right. And she's she's mad that she's in in her mind. You know, she's kind of didn't choose to be where she is. She's kind of trying to work within Starfleet strictures, and she's trying to do the best she can for the first officer of her boyfriend or friend with benefits <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and she it's pulled not all these out. strings. Like, she, like, bent over backwards to get, like, this amazing plea deal, and then it got just, like, thrown back in her face. Father, she should have been the person really pissed when <laughs> Una revealed she turned herself in. Because she's <laughs> like, do you know what I did? <laughs> yeah. All those favors I called in like, yeah. that I'm never going to be able to get back. Uh, yeah, yeah. She's got people pissed at her now and stuff. <laughs> but I thought they did a good job. It was a good writing move that I applaud to uh, create a co-counsel who they could make more of a dickhead, mm-hmm. more of an asshole. 
so that we kind of blame him for being the bad guy and can forgive Battelle. Because at the end of the episode, you know, the the, the writers are going to want the audience to be able to forgive Battelle and like her again. Right. So so that, I don't know, the Gorn can kill her in the season finale and then like Pike will go to war with the <laughs> Gorn and whatever whatever happens with the they Gorn. They better not do that. They better not be that cheap. I, I think, you know, she, I think she's in the trailer looking up at like the Gorn attack ship when it arrives. So, uh, yeah. well, you know, they did kill off Jason Isaac's girlfriend, Admiral right? Cornwell. Didn't she do? She self-sacrificed. Yes. Yeah. Also a bad idea, by the way. Oh, I was okay. I was okay with getting rid of her. The <laughs> I, I like I like getting rid Vance. of her. What are you, a mobster? I like I like Vance and April both as better admirals than Cornwell. So yeah, I guess I would say I don't need them to be killed off to uh, to move the spotlight to another admiral. <laughs> um, but you know what I liked about um, what's the name of the Vulcan guy? Uh, Vice Admiral P- Pasolk. or whatever. Pasolk. I don't think he's a uh, vice admiral. Oh, I don't know. I, did, they I thought him, they, did they give him a rank? I thought it was something like that, but I don't know. Uh, I'll look it up in a minute. But one of the, one of the things I think that was clever about him, aside from like, it led to a really good scene uh, where at, at uh, what do you call it? Not the bar. The what do you call it? The mess hall. The mess hall. But because he does a lot telepathically, he always seems almost like you know you can feel this level of power and kind of quiet strength and judgment from him he feels like uh, like a visual representation of the patriarchy just judging it all and uh, uh, supremely powerful in his scenes so. is this cuz sometimes i never know what you're talking about but sometimes you call these the vulcans in star trek enterprise patriarchal Sure, yeah, yeah. Patriarchal in that sense of being like a father who expects people to defer to him, who expects his orders to be obeyed, uh, you know, with mm. unquestionably. So, so yeah, that is that is absolutely the the term I mean to use. Uh, and and I feel like uh, he 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 conveyed that in in a way that was interesting in the sense that he wasn't like snappish at people. He wasn't a real demonstrative guy. But yeah, he played. You know, he got he was the villain of the episode if there was one. And and he kind of did it in an interesting and different way. Uh, but but yeah, like they're they're coming after Una pretty hard. You know, they went from okay, you will just uh, kick you out of Starfleet, but then you can go live free, do whatever the hell you want just be a normal federation citizen they went from that to oh actually uh we're going to stick you in a penal colony for 20 years so <laughs> they went from like okay you'll just be fired from your job to oh you're actually going to do uh 20 years hard time by the way father according to um memory alpha he's a vice admiral cool but yeah they're, they're offering up like a serious ass thing they what why did they say they what they was it to make a an example out of her at this point. I mean, just for... like in real life, if you turn down a, a plea deal, then normally they they come after you pretty hard. So yeah, but they also said you know they didn't they they were kind of embarrassed that you know Starfleet had made a mistake, and that played a big role. Speaking of court martial, the TOS episode court martial, uh, very similar in that episode, they offer Kirk like, hey, just uh, we're just going to drum you out of the service, and then. You know, we, no one will, will bring this up again. And then Kirk was like, no, this didn't happen. I, I'm, I'm being framed. I'm going to fight this. And they're like, OK, but if you if you fight us, we're going to come against you hard. So, you know, you might not want to do this. But uh, uh, that, that felt pretty realistic. There, there's also you know, when when Battelle is coming after Una all hard like that, she has a conversation with Pike in the mess hall where she talks about how, like, you know, if you testify, then it's going to get yourself in trouble. And, you know, the the best thing for you to do is just, you know, stay out of this. You're not going to be able to help her. You know, Pike, but he wants, Pike wants to be like the, the ally, the friend, the big <laughs> brother to Una. 
I love when she uh, pokes fun at him for his inspiring speeches. <laughs> yeah. A little, little wry bit of humor in there. But she's being very serious about it. And I was like, well, you know, both Una and Pike wanted to take the stand and uh, for various reasons. And she rightly says, like, no, that would be bad strategy for both of them. And I like that they're both smart enough, of course, that they're like, eh, you're right. <laughs> you know, this could actually go very bad for us. I did uh, laugh at the, I laughed out loud, probably like the only time I laughed out loud this whole episode, but Mbenga mm-hmm. and Ortega's watching the, the Vulcan mm-hmm. argument, confrontation, outburst that Spock calls it. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was like really funny. It's similar, uh, Dave, the, the Lower Decks episode, uh, Trey's Douge, when we, we met the, the Vulcan character, yeah. Talyn, who, you know, like she would just have like a, a slight, you know, emphasis on a word in a sentence. And then the other Vulcans would be like, these out these outbursts are outrageous to Lynn. Like, like, please learn to control yourself. And, yeah, uh, it it worked just as well uh, here and in live action. Uh, it's kind of funnier because you don't uh, you don't expect it. And Mbenga being the Vulcan expert, you know that matches with what we know of him from the original series that he did his internship or whatever on on Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Not only does he know their medicine, but he learned the culture a little bit. And the the funniest part was, you know, Spock's apology. Like, I'm sorry you had to witness that. But then how Ortega's and Mbenga are like, like, no, we understand. We won't say anything. And they play it straight <laughs> for Spock's sake. And then, like, after he leaves, they they just can't Break help. Up. But, but yeah, they they just cheese up and start, start grinning and laughing. And they don't do that <laughs> a lot in, uh, you know, shows and movies and stuff where they show, like, the characters actually, you know, laugh at the joke. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's real life. You know, sometimes funny shit happens and you just like look at each other and smile and laugh at it. Yeah. And sometimes you laugh because you yourself said something funny. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, that was that was a good moment. It, it, it felt real <laughs> and, and legitimately funny. But also Mbenga provided, you know, since we aren't going to see Pasalk talk much. He he mm. he gave us the exposition we needed to know. Oh yeah, this guy is is a hard ass. <laughs> Dave, you you picked up on some uh, I, I think some clever ways they were injecting the you know the the world building of the exposition. You know your instinct should always be to show not tell, but sometimes you're just gonna have to tell. You know you only have an hour yeah. to do the story. But the same as how you pointed out. Oh yeah, they had to like really hammer in the the oppression of the Illyrians. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in order to to sell that, because it's stuff that we hadn't seen a, a ton of. There's a little hints of that in season one. You know, when Laon is calling uh, Una like like a augment monster, like like way that she says like augment, <laughs> like she like she puts like a lot of stink on it, like like God, <laughs> damn, like I hope no one ever calls me anything the way that Laon called Una augment. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. Uh, she can lean into it when she wants to. Well, let's let's talk about the the trial, the the heart of the episode, the the proceedings, uh, everything leading up to I guess like the the big le- legal victory. But you know, start, starting off, we have to meet the judges. They they have like the preliminary meeting with the judge advocate. So we saw her in her office, and then we get these other two judges. We got a a Vulcan dude and a Tellerite dude. I don't know what they don't have like a ton of presence, but I kind of like them. What what do you think of them? Same thing. Um, I, I felt like they made a wise decision to you know. I think this is kind of. You know, they they could have I, I suppose had a single person making the ruling made it a little simpler, but uh, you know they were there to kind of as a show of procedure and and you know and 
structure uh, of it. But yeah, they didn't actually get a lot of time. They, you know, occasionally did the thing a traditional judge does. Hey, move along. What's this line of questioning all about? What are you doing? Uh, I kind of, I think last week when I was, when we talked about there being a Ferengi guy, I was like, oh, I want him to be a fire and brimstone Judge Judy type who's you know, laying down the law. Uh, so yeah, sorry, not, not Ferengi, but Tellerite. Um, and, and uh, but like, yeah, when I saw actually how, really how seriously they were treating the episode, I think they wanted to let their themes be treated with really kind of utmost seriousness and for it not to be kind of like veer into any sort of campiness. No, my cousin Vinny here. <laughs> they needed the judges to be kind of sober serious judges who just kind of did their job and i and i thought i thought that was the smart choice i also liked how a lot of the episode was spent seeing the enterprise crew spectating on a you know they're just like watching on a tv yeah. from from pike's uh, ready room uh, but it felt a lot like the menagerie you know speaking of pike which was the first episode yeah. of the original series i ever saw was the menagerie part 1 so i kind of got to start on captain pike the the og star trek captain in, in the original series you know father they sort of work it occurs to me a little like a like a greek chorus in a play or something like that kind of helpfully revealing certain things like you know if you got a little lost in some legal jargon or you weren't quite sure what was happening then you know when say ortegas said oh you know, why did she go after Captain April? That's not even what she's supposed to be there for. Mm -hmm. And he looked bad, but it didn't help Una. Like, some of that stuff worked actually pretty cleverly as exposition uh, in case you were, you know, in case you were just not quite getting, you know, all of the courtroom legalese stuff. Or you would just see somebody's face fall a little bit. Uh, or there was that moment of tension, of course, when Spock's was like, Spock was like, I do think she was hiding something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The, they... the other kind of the other funny scene in it. Mm. Um, but yeah, they I think they got a lot of good use out of the spectators, you know, aside from the fact of just showing, yeah, her crew was interested. They care about Una. They um, I but really it was, actually it was like the fun, structure. It was fun seeing their reactions. Like, like I, I kept seeing like just Bush would like, you know, she'd like look over at Spock or like look over at Pike and. I don't know. It was just, they were just a fun, watchable cast, and the editing, how it would like cut back and forth to the reactions, was well done. Some of it really was like like it was the dialogue was written very well, like very purposefully, mm -hmm. like like the words were chosen with like a lot of care and precision, not just for the allegory purposes or like like you know social relevance purposes, but just storytelling. And yeah. then the the editing was pretty impressive too. So it was well well made. When you have a big ensemble like this episode had and, you know, just like lots of supporting people running around in the background, too. What's interesting is to like sometimes go back and watch and like every single character when you see them, you should be able to kind of like if you know what their deal is to, to see just what their story is in the moment. You know, oh, what's you know, what's Ortega's feeling about this? What's Nurse Chapel feeling about this? Uh, even if you kind of like they're not the subject of this of the scene, you know, you should be able to look in the background and kind of see what they're how they're feeling about it. And I think the episode was pretty, pretty concise about that. Well blocked. I, I love the April testimony because they think they think that they're going to, you know, screw over Una by bringing in this witness who would, you know, put put out a, a good faith effort to be, you know, give a friendly testimony towards Una. You know, April is on her side, but they're going to they're gonna bring this guy out, like her OG champion, the guy who sponsored her membership in a Starfleet, and get him to say on the record in the courtroom that that was a mistake. He should never have brought her into Starfleet. Yep. And the, the way that Nera goes after him by getting him to admit to like, oh, so you wouldn't break the rules then, but you <laughs> would break the rules at X and Y and Z, yep. you know, all these times you were breaking the prime directive. And she gets that, you know, she pisses off those judges so much. 
And it's fun. It's fun to like watch them get their panties in a wad. <laughs> uh, but uh, and she gets that entire testimony thrown out and stricken from the record because she yeah, embarrassed was, Starfleet. That was a boss yeah, that move. Was hardcore. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I, I I thought they struck a good balance in those scenes because you know I usually I want Starfleet to be this pretty good agency, and uh, you know I, I certainly don't mind it being flawed, but I want them to be like pretty good. And when you get to that thing where you're like, hey, aren't you guys a bunch of hypocrites? Um, like, you know, like you'll break the prime directive for this, but you won't do that. Um, I think that uh, you, you have to like kind of tread carefully so you don't really like make out that they're just awful people. But you do show that there's like – she often used words like – oh, she, she, like Nero would say, I think the Federation or Starfleet has unintentionally or perhaps unknowingly become persecutors. And she would point out that they've kind of let themselves be blinded by the uh, the, the angst and the pain of the eugenics wars, and that led them down this path. Now, maybe she's giving them more credit than they deserve. You know, Maybe it's like, uh, hey, you can, grow, you can grow up and mature, but they uh, – she gave them sort of that out sometimes, the, hey, I see how you got here. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I generally like the calling out, and I thought it was also, you know, for purpose of the episode, sound legal strategy. But I also love when April was like uh... – you're telling Pike when they're having drinks and, and he's he's talking about like how much he respects Una and he talks about like, uh oh, yeah, you know, remember how great she was at the Marcel disaster in 2248? Like, too bad the court didn't get to hear about that. And he's April is pissed at Pike because Pike <laughs> brought Nera into this. So that yeah. like total embarrassment that he received, he's kind of like, yeah, so so that asshole who just grilled me and, and made Starfleet look terrible in front of everyone, like that was your idea? Like, you're the one who brought her into this? Like. <laughs> Yeah, and, a lot and of how, how does this even help our friend Una? Like, you know, like I didn't get to say like all the good things I was going to say about her. So what are you doing? There's a lot of complex emotions going on in this episode and people who would otherwise be allies are kind of at odds. Uh, and it is Nira who ultimately is kind of doing the three dimensional chess thing. She's the most three dimensional chess <laughs> of anybody uh, there. You know, that's funny. You know, she has that conversation with Pike in her office when, when you know, he kind of gets one up on her. He's like, you know, I'm right. You know, it makes sense for you to take this case. Yeah, you have bad blood with Una, but think of all the good you can do. Think of the soapbox this will give you for your agenda. And she's like, you're a real piece of work, Pike. You know, like <laughs> she's kind of like a. Like, oh, yeah, like, you're you're good. You're a good manipulator. You, I, I, you're right. Like, you argued your, your case well. But, I mean, she totally brings her own in this episode. She wins the episode. This, this is her victory. Yeah, good point from Sohail in the uh, audience about uh, uh, when Pike takes April's un-taken un drink, drink and downs it himself. Uh, and just their uh, expressions throughout that there's that's that's some some good work and you know everybody was everybody was stressed out in this episode yeah no i liked that and and that was uh that was fun it felt it felt believable it was like mm -hmm. i understood why april was being a dick and i understood why pike would be like i'm just gonna chug all of this right now <laughs> uh, the the other uh the other testimonies we have like the the the, the character witness stuff uh, so these these are witnesses that the defense brings on, right? Uh, they or were they were they uh, chosen Character by the witnesses? Yeah, it has to be has yeah. to be chosen so, cho chosen by uh, Nira. So, but they they do get cross examined. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we have a uh, Laon and Spock and Mbenga. You know what? Another subtle thing they do in this episode that I appreciate they didn't like beat us over the head with it is Mbenga says uh, you know about Una. He, he's like, yes, she's discreet and empathic and uh, knows how to keep a secret. And, 
yeah, like she kept the secret that he was hiding his kid in the transporter. But you know, they don't right. they don't say that specifically to it's just like they just assume the audience like, "Oh yeah, if you care about that, you'll you'll remember." Mhm. This whole the structure of these uh the character witnesses I thought was of that scene was good because it sort of moves into a montage format where they're intersplicing their stuff. So you can kind of see the sometimes the same question asked of them and they're just real quick cut to the next person's response, cut to the next person's and and it kind of it gives a little energy you know to mm-hmm. and, and a break from the scenes where people are having very serious dramatic yeah. stuff. Yeah, the more we talk about it, the more I'm impressed with the the editing in this episode. It was really good. It was really good. Spock's testimony also really echoes how he testifies at uh, at Kirk's trial in court martial when when he's saying like like yes like you know this would be like a, a grave mistake this officer is a tremendous advantage of Starfleet to have um, among our ranks. Lawn talking about how like uh, all the people I saved I never would have saved if this woman hadn't been in Starfleet to save me. Um. Then you know, I guess finally they they save uh, Una for for the very end. So, and, and yeah, I guess like my criticism of the episode would be it, it does feel a bit forced and inorganic for her to hold the reveal of like I turned myself in for the very like why would like you know if you ever like go on trial and you have like an attorney there to represent you, the first thing you do immediately is the lawyer tells you like okay, tell me everything you did. I need to right. know everything so that we can build like the best possible case. Like, but they're all a, a try. A, a drama about a trial always takes, you know, dramatic, you know, license with yeah, it. Yeah, but I, I, uh, I think that's uh, I, I, too I much think of that a stretch. Too, uh, too much of a stretch. Yeah, totally. But I guess when Nira does figure out, like, oh, you turned yourself in. It wasn't Law, and it was you. Then she's like, okay, now I'm gonna let you testify. And she, you know, figured out the. I don't even know if I would call it a loophole, but just like, uh, yeah, let's just, uh, you know, focus on both both interpretations of the law equally i think well okay well, well we'll get to this sort of big reveal in a minute or maybe we should now or do we want to talk about like what wins the case for her before that i guess it's like the sure. the reveal of like oh it was like una who turned herself in lon was investigating that you know thinking like oh is this somehow my fault am i the one who got her in trouble did someone get yeah. my log uh entry and i thought I, that was a kind of a neat subplot that was a suspense subplot that Led to, I thought, a great scene with Uhura. Yes, where I was like, "Yes, this is this is so cool." Uhura is not willing to uh, violate civil liberties. <laughs> violate civil civil liberties, even for the right thing. And sometimes, in any of these fictions, including Star Trek, has done it too. They'll do the well. We know we're in the right, so it's okay for us to yeah. do it. You know, it's okay and... for, for Batman to spy on everyone because he's sure, got to exact... stop the bad guy. Exactly. And she's like, hey, you know what? Do it another way. She's yes. like, I am not going to do let you hurt this, you know, uh, hurt me and yourself. And, you know, uh, by doing this, I loved it. Yeah, I, I love the, the the episode rejects the notion of like, oh, well, you know, the, the only way to win is to be, you know, just as terrible and just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, break, break as many rules and principles and just be a big old hypocrite, you know. I, I'm all for, you know, doing the right thing, regardless of if it is legal or not, as this episode mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, very much also on that same page. But uh, yeah, like, that doesn't mean like, you know, go go be a bastard also, because, you know, someone's being a bastard to you. Right. I guess like Una's testimony, that's needed for, just to get all the, the context, you know, the qualifications for asylum and all of that right. stuff. But yeah, we get, you know, her... Her memory alpha page gets a, a few paragraphs during this testimony. They, they they go into a lot of her childhood. They talk about what it was like, <laughs> you 
you know, growing yeah. up in in this colony that was, you know, was trying to be part of the Federation, or I, guess, I don't know, maybe by the end it is part of the Federation. I don't know. How do you feel about like the like the level of discrimination that, that she describes? Like, do you think that was believable, or like did that seem like well, kind of too barbaric? To was this was under Starfleet supervision? They had what what brought them in? You're talking about the col- she was like on a colony that split into two, right? Yes, but it was Ultimately, under it was under provisional Federation supervision. Okay, so I, you know what? I can buy that. I, I don't know where they are, like within the quadrants and all that stuff. Like in other words, if it's considered sort of a little on like outlying, you know, territory or not, I think it'd be better if it was because I felt like that Starfleet presence wouldn't be real mm-hmm. strong, and they might have a weak provisional government. Um, they didn't get into that level of specificity, but you know, could a provisional government, you know, inadvertently oversee or or through you know. Bad, you know, actual just bad governance. Could they oversee that kind of stuff? Yeah, I could. I could kind of see it. You know, um, I, I think it's okay to go ahead and have the Federation have some sort of major flaws sometimes, as long as, like Una says, they are striving towards betterment. Yeah, and I think that was the depiction of the future that Roddenberry was aiming for. You know, it's I, I always talk about how like it. It's kind of weird to talk about what Gene Roddenberry's vision was because it did change over the years. He was a different person in in the 60s than he was, you know, when he uh, passed away in the 90s. But the common theme, I think, uh, until I don't know, he got kind of weird in the in the late 80s. Uh, but uh, when he when he thought everyone needed to be perfect, and no one should, no child would grieve when their parent died. And <laughs> right, so, right. Uh, but you know, a, a few mini strokes before he was saying stuff like that. I, I think he. <laughs> He was uh, he was more on board of the idea of like, yeah, humanity won't be perfect in the future, but we'll be becoming more and more perfect. And that's I think like the message of Star Trek isn't like, look how great we're going to be. It's like, oh, we can get really good and like continue to get better and better and better. And that's something that we, we should strive for. And I think that's something that this episode embodies very much so. And I think it is important of Star Trek to yeah it is good on occasion to be critical of the federation it it would be a dystopia if like you weren't able to you know criticize the authority and question it and improve sure. it it should always be improving something that our, our friend uh, Jesse Gender uh when when we had her on the oh by the way people should check out her review of this episode she really really liked this one oh um, I, I will absolutely do that i always like Jesse's stuff but uh, we had her on the show years and years ago, and we were talking about how like some of these you know episodes that were very progressive for their time, but not so much these days. Uh, she said that's actually kind of a way, kind of a reason to celebrate because that means like, oh, we thought we were progressive, you know, decades ago, but like, look, we've gotten way better because now we're like, oh, there's still problems here. So the fact that we're able to you know to look at uh, something like from TNG, like uh, the episode Outcast, uh, which was uh, a kind of a a big milestone at the time for at least, you know, it opened my eyes to a, a lot of, a lot of issues. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, like it's kind of dated. It, it has problems now, but you know, that just means that society has gotten better. Right. That's, and I think that's a, that's a great point. You know, if we look back and we're like disgusted with how they did something, that would be one thing, <laughs> but it's like, Oh, only a little progressive or progressive in a kind of awkward, cringy way a little bit. That's still some forward movement. It's just didn't get as far as we are now. 
Um, Father, I wanted to mention Joel. This is a D and D reference. Uh, sorry for people who don't know D and D, but I think it's a very good summation. Uh, he said that um, all the in, in Star Trek, all the heroes are chaotic good, and Starfleet is lawful good. <laughs> for people who don't know what that means, Star Trek has a bunch of alignments that you pick for your hero, and chaotic good is kind of that like Robin Hood thing. You will, you're a good person, and you will break the rules to to do the right thing. Oh, like lawful... Jack Crusher before he joined Starfleet. Exactly so. Lawful good is the the by the book hero. You're still a good good person, but you're kind of really like a little bit more bound by like trying to maintain a sense of order is mm-hmm. is also a high priority. And uh, anyway, that that's just a really good and perfect description of uh, the usual balance that they go for in Star Trek. I just need for I just need for them to be lawful good and not like uh, I don't know neutral evil or something like that. I don't I don't want the Star Trek that's really veering or the Starfleet that's veering bad. I need them to be doing their best. Yeah, yeah, and I think we get that here. Uh, it, it, you know, at least with what we saw traditionally, how the Federation was depicted in in say like the original series and TNG. And then uh, you know, certainly in, in DS9, it's like, yeah, like they, they can make mistakes, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's OK. It's a good thing to be able to learn from your mistakes and improve. Mm-hmm. Uh, Una, like, really wanted to testify at this. Like her whole point for doing any of this, turning herself in any of that was like she just wanted to, like, tell her story, I guess. Yeah, so, and that make that does make sense that, uh, you know, if she was going to make that somewhat reckless decision that to, to put her own life on trial. It's actually, it you know, speaks to a certain self-confidence. She's like, they will see how hard I have tried to be Starfleet, and they will have to come to terms with it's unfair to drum me out. And 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 so I, I actually kind of think that's a neat decision, and um, and and I, f- I feel like it works pretty well yeah. for the story. And she was also tired of being in the closet. She wanted you know to be able to be herself in front of her crew, in front of the people she served with. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought that was kind of cool. And I, uh, I don't know. That's Do, are we going to see her doing more Illyrian? I hope advanced so. stuff. Yeah. Now, kind of see... like like Bashir did. Like, remember when she like picked up Hemmer and like carried him and we were like, what the hell? How'd she just pick that dude up? And in Ghosts of Illyria in season one and like stuff like that. Right, like, I would like right. I would like to see her doing like like super powered stuff. I mean, I kind of feel like the show is like very human-y. You know, Spock is an alien, I guess, but he's half human. Uh, Carol Kane is an alien, but she, you know, looks like a human. Uh, uh-huh. Una looks like a who. So, yeah, the more they can make these people be, like, a bit more alien and weird, uh, I, I like that. You know, like, I love yeah. DS9 because it has so so few human characters in the main cast compared to everyone else. I suspect when they do lean towards human, that's probably, like, a conscious or subconscious nod to TOS, because that was so much of what they did. And a lot of the 60s ethos was about humanity and our struggles and trying to be the best and failing sometimes. But like, you know, aliens were generally there, you know, sometimes as analogs for other people or ways to talk about things. But it was a very kind of human centric uh, show. Um, but I, I agree with you, Father. I think it's a good point that uh, they they should be, you know, Strange New Worlds should uh, also include other, uh, other life forms. Yeah. When I watch TOS, I just assume there's a bunch of, like, non-humans, like... Just off-camera? Just off-camera to the side. Yeah, I so, like that. I mean, it's a big ship. We never see 400 people on it, so... Uh, but we know that they're there. One of the things that kind of caught my eye when I was uh, watching this the second or third time was that when... Uh, Una's like telling you know the story of her childhood and all like you know the bad stuff and you know, the city got split into two cities so they got segre- yeah. I saw some people call compare that to like you know like ghettos and 
you know, Nazi-occupied Europe. And I, th- I think more accurately, it might be, you know, Belfast in Northern Ireland. You, know, you separate mm. the, the Protestants from the, the Catholics. But it's, it's one of those things where you're like, when was the, would this ever be a good idea? You know, <laughs> why would it ever be good to take pe- people who have big differences and split them up so that they could like... I mean, it seems like, you know, I, I feel one of the reasons why something like a civil, a second civil war in America is relatively unlikely is because we're so dispersed now that you can't have like groups, a geographic group going after another geographic group's territory. It's all shared territory. But anyway, yeah. But of course, it really happened. So so continue your yeah. thought. And, and according to Star Trek canon, there will be a second American civil war. So we'll see if we can avoid that or... <laughs> Or not, but uh, but, but the so. thing that the thing that caught my eye was when Battelle starts to get into the story and like she forgets mm-hmm. to say objection, and then Pasalk has to like tap her on the arm to be, and she's like oh yeah ob- uh, objection and mm-hmm. uh, then when uh, she's about to cross examine Una, you know this is kind of like the 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 boss fight. Uh, mm-hmm. Battelle stands up to do it, and then I guess Pasalk, like, he was like, no, you're gonna be too human, you're gonna be too soft, you're gonna buy into this emotional story about, like, you know, like, the sad girl, and all of that, so you sit your ass back down, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this, and, yeah. and you know, he he comes after her with, uh, you know, he he's, he's not just trying to take her down, but he also wants to bring down Pike, and who's right. one of the most decorated, most popular, well-loved, captains not just in you know real life in the star trek fandom but also like in universe he, he's like an enterprise vulcan busting yeah. out his judgment maybe he's related to saval or something that was his dad or it, something i don't know but yeah right um <laughs> father is is he the first bald vulcan we've seen just random question no there's uh there's a few bald vulcans that have shown up uh okay. there's a one uh, there's a bald vulcan admiral in discovery but not him different one so there's a lot of bald vulcan uh admirals okay. in the in the 23rd century but uh, but yeah, so uh, that kind of does up the stakes before we get to like the the climactic uh, victory. But I also should point out before I mention that, just uh, did you catch uh, Ivan Katul, the boy who got a uh, hate crime? He got mm-hmm. beat up for being Illyrian. Uh, they had just learned about the Illyrians in school, but that that is Nira's cousin. Una's like right. he's my best friend's cousin. They have the same last name, Katul. So it was another like little subtle thing. They didn't they didn't like spoon feed that to the audience. I love right. That. Yeah, to kind of infer it through some sort of looks yeah. uh, here and there. Yeah, and certainly there was times when Nira's very personal questioning of Una. You're like, oh, this is about their story. You know, <laughs> you could you could tell, but it is subtle. Just I guess like that side of it that uh like things that I, I think really parallel, you know, real life. It's like, oh yeah, like we were learning about this in school. So like that's part of what stirs up these prejudices and these biases is it's how people are raised. It's how people are educated. Right. And also, by the way, that those scenes, you know, for all that Una is celebrated in this episode, she has to come to terms with, you know, she was, of course, very young and maybe she didn't shouldn't beat herself up so bad, but she has to come to terms with what she sees as a failure on her part, which is she accepted that she could pass as a non-Illyrian and she left behind Illyrians who continued to be persecuted and didn't stand up for them and her i guess her family didn't stand up for them you know they kind of ended up you know looking out for themselves in (laughs) some ways rather understandable in those circumstances but it's something that clearly has weighed on her and nira has held it against her and and i suppose you know a big part of the story is about people who uh, can use their privilege for the good of others or for the good of your own community and mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of that's kind of what Nira's whole thing was is like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to force you, Una, who, you know, you left me behind in Illyrian town or whatever. 
you know, when, when we, we all got segregated, I, I couldn't go over to the passable side of town like you, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, now that, now that you've become like this, uh, highfalutin, you know, well-decorated Starfleet officer and you have like this massive platform and the, the attention of the Federation, you know, I'm, I'm going to force you to use that to, to our advantage, to our people's advantage. To the point where she's even getting like aggressive towards Una when the, the judge <laughs> yep. advocate is like, like the gen- judge general advocate is like, like, you know, I, I warn you not to badger your own witness. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we we get the argument from Pasok, like, look, that is an emotional story. I know you humans get all weepy-eyed and really care about that. You know, fair enough. Be a touchy-feely people and feel sorry for this poor woman. But the law is the law. And we're here to talk about if she broke the law, and she clearly did. And so, understandable. I get why, you know, he would make that uh, argument. I understand that line of reasoning. And then Nira is like, okay, if y'all want to be by the books, then look, every she did everything by the book to qualify for asylum. So if y'all are going to, you know, be hard asses about the letter of the law, then you got to enforce that both ways, which that's something that I think is also relevant to real life where laws are frequently enforced, uh, you know, like to hurt people, to persecute people, to come after people, but they're not always... There's there's kind of a double standard, for sure. I think. You, do you think, Fathery, that when he when when Pasalk pr- pressed her on on the the law, that she was like, "I'm really glad you put it that way." <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like in her head, she's like, "Oh, what a what a funny thing." <laughs> yeah, it's it's like uh, she played him like a like a Vulcan lute. She did. <laughs> and nice, he fell right nice. into her right into her trap, and I like that uh-huh. she is carrying around a book like Samuel T. Cogley would approve. Jill uh, mentions in the comments she loves that they're bringing back beautiful books like uh, TOS had. You know, that is a nod. That is a nod to Samuel T. Cogsley, but they downplay it. Dave, the more I talk about this episode, it really it really is great. Like like that, like the subtlety and stuff, like those little those yeah. little touches like like, yeah, we're going to if if you're a diehard TOS fan and you want Samuel Cog, you want to be reminded of Samuel Cogsley. OK, we're going to do that in like a very non obnoxious way. Here's a mm. here's a law book in in Star Trek. Here you go. Right, right. It's 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 almost more like his influences out there yeah. uh, or people who share his same some of his same passions, maybe. You know, uh, one thing I was not sure of and, you know, like I, uh, you know, I, I don't watch a ton of legal thrillers, but I've watched I've watched a few and I I can like the genre. I don't know if you can apply for asylum abstractly like ultimately you have to fill out a form or something <laughs> well that's what i and, love about i love about like the the details of how they explained that because that would have been my thinking like wouldn't wouldn't pike have had to like you know like apply for the paperwork or whatever but they, they say how the process works it's like oh captains are allowed to dole out that asylum status as long as eventually it goes and and you know gets approved by a tribunal or by some like some federation recognized like legal court and and she's mm-hmm. like and, and you know y'all can do it we did. We already did step one. We got step one done. So you know, it's up to y'all. Are you gonna do step two? And like, according to the rules, like, you know, this should qualify. So y'all should go ahead and let us get that asylum. So the 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 three uh, requirements. They were the the fleeing persecuted, which was you know argumented uh, or argued. Uh, the uh, seek safety in Starfleet. She said that mm-hmm. was you know why she wanted to join Starfleet and then yeah reveal themselves to uh, authority to to a captain. So yeah, if this was ever used on an episode of. Uh, Perry Mason or L.A. Law or Boston Legal or anything like that. I hadn't I hadn't seen that particularly done, <laughs> and I thought it was a really cool reveal. Uh, again, I might be like, wait, is that does that quite work? But man, it, it seemed like such a cool idea. It was so well filmed. 
uh, and edited so that we got those little moments where you're like, oh, shit, she's been building this case the whole time. She's been playing us all like a Vulcan harp. And I love that it didn't end on, like, a, a technicality. Like, you know, if it had been, like, the poisonous fruit, the, the, the tr- fruit from a poisonous tree, whatever, you know, the, the right. evidence had been illegally obtained. I'm glad that it wasn't something like that. I'm glad that it was something that, that, that where the Federation had to uh, look at itself and see its own hypocrisy. Like, okay, according to our rules, we have to punish this woman, but according to the rules, we have to protect this woman. So, right. you know, it sounds like we have like an internal conflict within ourselves that needs to be evaluated. And that was the perfect, right. that was a perfect climax to put on this story. It was, even even though like legal dramas are always kind of very, I, I think subject to very specific criticism, you know, no one's more detail oriented than lawyers. <laughs> so, and by the way, I'm already kind of anticipating watching, uh, there's that YouTube channel I sometimes watch where the dude who goes by Legal Eagle, uh, who's a real lawyer, he analyzes movies and TV shows and talks about, oh, you know, do they, you know, reflect real judicial systems well? Is this something that's really done? Would that work? I'd be curious to see him cover this. I think he's maybe already covered some Trek before, uh, like Measure of a Man, I think, at least showed up. Anyway, so I'm looking forward to seeing that. But uh, yeah, I think this is, like you said, it struck just the right note, Fathery, where they could, she brought to the fore that the Federation is kind of at war with itself and didn't know it. And you can sort of choose an interpretation that's humane and uh, inclusive and makes Starfleet stronger, or you can choose something that follows the letter of a law and makes Starfleet weaker and engenders distrust. And like that is that is a great Trek themed finale. So, uh, do you think that we should uh, see Nera again in, in the future? Do you think she should pop up on Strange New Worlds? Should they do more courtroom episodes? You know, I don't even need to think it needs to be a full courtroom episode, but yeah, I'd love to see her. They made they did such a good job with her. Yeah, have her do some legal advising. Have her, you know, helping, uh, you know, they're bringing some new planet into the Federation and she's, uh, you know, legal advisor on, you know, civil rights issues related mm-hmm. to some complexity with the aliens. Yeah, that I'd, I'd love to see her again. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you'd have her every season or but... Uh, but maybe you should. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Uh, I, I, in short, I, I think that uh, she should show, for sure. What about you, Fathery? If nothing else, I just want to hear about her friendship with Una more in the future, because I think that's like that's a really cool thing to, you know, if a friend that you thought you lost, if you're able to like reconnect with them. Oh, this old like, childhood friend, I never thought we'd see each other again, and we had a bad falling out, but now we're going to be friends again. I liked like the... Kind of like when when she says goodbye in the transporter room when when they're holding hands and she's kind of like reluctant to let go like like it like lingers for a little bit that's, that's kind of like the only like true like you know there's not going to be any type of uh you, you know comment about like oh how you like betrayed us and you left me behind and you betrayed our entire community to run off to these people who oppress us and everything like this is like a, a true genuine like show of like affection towards una mm-hmm. and so i was like oh like nera's kind of like forgiven her and they've you know kind of grown together so i would like to see yeah, just more of that friendship that, it was pretty cool that all their backstory was revealed essentially kind of through courtroom stuff Mm -hmm. at no point did they really ever just i don't don't think they much really ever sat down and talked about it because nero was all business with her you know they would like maybe almost start to talk about it then nero would just get back to the case so it's pretty neat that they could show it that way and then really have that moment of connection at the end because yeah it was like they neither of them quite wanted to talk about it uh, and it was like the only way they could talk about it was through a legal proceeding Well, a Starfleet Sohel said that he got up and clapped when he saw it with his mom, and and she thought he was a little nuts. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> he, I love that. He enjoyed Sohail. this moment as well. 
if this is what he is talking about. Uh, Pike has that awkward, weird <sighs> hug with Una at the very end, which I is like, okay, they just wanted to end on like a lighthearted note. I kind of would have liked it if Pike would have been more like, he's comfortable hugging his first officer. He doesn't have to like, be like, oh, that was weird. I hugged you. You know what? The way I read it was, uh, I didn't think, I mean, yes, it was kind of an awkward hug, but I think it was in- intentional. Like to me, it seemed like, he was trying to be professional, but then mm. he, you know, like his, he kind of broke and he's like his face when he hugged her, like when he was like in the actual embrace, looked like, thank God you're back. Like I needed mm. you. That's the way I read it. And it was like he he actually for once couldn't actually he didn't have a big speech that fulfilled it. And he just engaged with her emotionally and just instinctively was like, thank you for being back. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and th- that's what it looked like to me. He almost was a little desperate in there, but in a in a sweet way. Yeah, I like that. I like that reading of it. But uh, but yeah, so status quo restored, but uh, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. It was a really great episode, even if I did predict the ending last week, like I said, but... <laughs> you know, I I don't mind... Uh, you know, Father, you and I both like surprises in stories. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why we try to avoid spoilers as much as possible. But there is something to be said for, like, a you know, a story doesn't always hinge on the the reveals uh and the final act it the the getting there can be a huge part of it um and so yeah we don't want spoilers but if something ends up in a predictable place but gets there in a really interesting way that's okay and i guess my my final thoughts on this episode is just I am so happy to have Strange New Worlds back. I love uh, a, a lot of Star Trek shows. I think there's other Star Trek shows in production now that, that are very, very fantastic at what they do. But there's something special about this one. And it's just within, like, these two episodes, just within two hours of the show, like, of, of this season, uh, as much as I enjoyed Star Trek Picard Season 3, I already feel like I've gotten so much more story. Just out of mm-hmm. these two episodes. And one of them, you know, we, we thought was, uh, it fell a little flat last week. I, I, I what, what did I say? Uh, fine, but fun. You know, it's like just fine, yeah. but pretty fun. Uh, but yeah, even like that, I just, I've gotten so much mileage out. You know, I felt like I got to see Klingons, got to see that weird Crossfield class ship, got to see a trial on Earth, got to learn more of Una's backstory, just, different mm-hmm. locations, different people. Just, I don't know. It's like, I'm not watching a show that's like, oh, we're on like the very dark, titan set and oh now they're gonna go to the 10 forward bar and it's just oh here's more stuff with the changelings and the borg it's like like no there's such a a variety and freshness and i can't wait to see uh what happens next week yeah you know one of the one of the things episodic the episodic format does for star trek is it emphasizes diversity because that's what episodic Mm. is and that's a star trek theme so it, it, maybe that's why it feels like it's so Star Trekky. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, it's also why I love there being you know a lot of shows that are very different from one another. I love how different Picard is from Prodigy and from Lower Decks and from Discovery and and yeah. But it's, it, it, this show truly does embrace that infinite diversity and infinite combinations. Hmm. But uh, with all that out of the way, uh, let's go into the Gorneg section of the show. This is where I like to talk about the Easter eggs, in jokes, and continuity connections I thought were worth pointing out and mentioning but starting off the planet that una grows up on and also the planet that nira is working on which may or may not be the same planet uh we're, we're not sure but that is in the volterra nebula which was uh visited in star trek the next generation in that episode the chase that's when uh, picard runs into his old professor galen and they go and find out that all the different star trek alien races are related uh, oh, yeah. 
this is the one that uh, Geek Filter pointed out, and he was uh, mentioning it earlier tonight in, in the chat in the live audience. Uh, but uh, thanks for this, Aaron. He noticed that Nira's receptionist has the same style desk that Lorca had for his uh, standing desk. The lighthouse courtroom? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Dave, I know you have a fondness for lighthouses. Uh, yeah. But uh, Aaron also figured out the location of... Oh. Where, where they created this, like a CGI lighthouse. It was on top of some real rocks. That is a Point Bonita lighthouse in uh, San Francisco Bay. I'm trying to remember. I don't, I don't think I've, I went to that one, but I did go to San Francisco recently and I hit up one or two lighthouses along the, uh, along the way. But, uh, but I don't think I went to that one. And didn't, didn't make the list, huh? Maybe next yeah, time. Yeah, but duly noted for the future. <laughs> Speaking of that that courtroom room, it it, it it's kind of weird how it, it looks so identical to the Starfleet headquarters of Star Trek Discovery seasons three and four because they used that set. I do wish that they had redecorated it more or just used a different set because why would you have like that giant gaping hole in the middle of your courtroom? Aaron also noticed that like the dedication plaque uh, for the the star base was still hanging up on the wall. So, oh, uh, <laughs> oopsie! But the, there's a, a ton of nice little uh, touches within that courtroom. I loved them, you know, ringing that bell thing that I wish that they had been ringing in. Star Trek Discovery when Michael Burnham was on trial. Uh, when we talked about that episode, we were even like, why weren't they ringing that bell from Court Martial? I love mm-hmm. that they have like the little cards that you you stick in the computer. I love that uh, they have that lie detector thing you put your hand on. And then our uh, Tellarite judge, he is the Space Command representative. Uh, and there is a Space Command representative in Court Martial who is just like this old guy named Captain Lindstrom who... But he sat in, like, the same spot. He was, like, to the left of, of the main judge. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's whatever the hell, Space Command representative. You know, it's just some dumb thing they made up in 1966 when they hadn't figured out the Starfleet jargon. Before they even had, like, Starfleet, the word Starfleet figured out. I think in Court Martial, all they ever say is the service. They never say the word Starfleet. They hadn't, they hadn't come up with Starfleet. They hadn't named Starfleet yet. You know, Father, I know we don't know if they're gonna, we're going to get Teller Prime or anything like that. Hashtag like- time for Teller Prime. Absolutely. But I do wonder if like, oh, why reminding us in this episode of Tellarites with this small role, are they priming us for it? Maybe they're just like, hey, remember those Tellarites? I don't know. Well, if... well, you'll, you'll be seeing them again in episode six or I don't whatever. know if people need to be primed for uh... – if anything, <laughs> yeah. I think like they would just like not show them. They'd be like saving them up for a surprise, but – uh, I, I'm just trying to be uh, enthusiastic the, towards the possibility. Whoever is writing, like, like you know, episode six would be like, don't put a Tellarite in episode two, because I'm, I'm using some in episode six. <laughs> uh, you don't have to. It's not like you're springing Tellarites on us. It's just a little reminder. They're one of the big uh, Tellarite uh, founding uh, Starfleet members, founding Federation members. Speaking of Tellarites, though, I love that uh, Space Command uh, representative dude here has a uh, three-fingered hand. So, like Jenkum Pog, or like Gav from Journey to Babel. Yeah, So yeah, we're bringing nice. back the, the three-fingered Tellarites in live action. So that was Good. cool. And this guy is played by David Benjamin Tomlinson, who has played uh, a, a few different uh, Star Trek aliens under heavy prosthetics recently, but most notably uh, Linus in Discovery. Oh, that's cool. And uh, speaking of Linus the Saurian, there's some wall art in the courtroom that I, I guess sh- shows a bunch of Federation aliens in weird uh like greco-roman robes or you know togas or something 
But there's mm-hmm. a, there is a Saurian up there, I, I think. <laughs> it's kind of hard to tell. We don't get like a great look at it in anything. I hope that there's better pictures online that surface at some point, like that you know people were taking like on the set. But there's uh, clearly like some uh, at least one Endorian. Uh, I I think uh, there's a, a Tellerite, a short dude right here. Um, that's the Saurian. But uh, in like classic Greek style togas, that's that is an odd piece of art. Uh, I want to know whatever the story is behind it. And I was talking to uh, Aaron about the stuff, and uh, he's able to determine this is a, a Cation over here, okay, with yeah, a cat yeah. head. And we think that this dude on the far left is a Edosian, like Eric's, although there's no third arm. But that sure looks like Eric's face. The features do look, yeah, do look like. And then next to him is, I think, a Zaranite from the motion picture. So, um, yeah, people who are, like, tracking down those uh, more obscure Federation members, I think there's some here. Is there a ready room for this episode, Father? They need to, they need to do a breakdown. There is, and they talk about the set, but they don't actually talk about this too much. Bastards. So, but uh, there is uh, another fun Gornegg in the courtroom with uh, Spock's testimony, as you mentioned, Dave, a little bit of levity. When uh, Spock admits that Uno was hiding something, an affinity for Gilbert and Sullivan musicals, uh, we saw he learned that when he was stuck in the elevator with her in the short track Q&A. That was a fun one. And that's all I got for the Gorneggs. But y'all heard us talk about this episode for an hour and a half. We'd love to hear whatever y'all have to say about it. So please comment. You can comment on YouTube. You can reply to my tweets on Twitter. You can sound off in the TextTrack Discord server or on the TextTrack Facebook page. We like to share people's responses at the end of our show sometimes. Uh, Dave, uh, if you don't mind, did we receive any subspace transmissions, as we like to call them, about last week's episode, the season two premiere, The Broken Circle? Uh, We got a ton of... Uh, subspace transmissions uh yeah we were inundated with them in a good way people uh, a lot of responses generally pretty positive feelings but a little critique in there so i'm just going to jump right in and kind of go through these quickly uh so that we can cover a fair amount of them uh this is of course for in reference to the episode the the broken circle which was light on pike but heavy on mbenga and uh chapel and spock uh feeling his emotions uh so uh, Ignis uh, says the classic Klingons are back. Um, so r- r- I know that he speaks for a lot of people in that. <laughs> someone going in- including by including us. That was that was our Abs- uh, sentiment. Absolutely. Uh, someone going by Chief Engineer Pelia <laughs> says uh, loved it, enjoyed it. It wasn't your standard season opener, mind you, but that gave it some originality, in my opinion. Pike on hiatus right out of the corral. Interesting move. Um, and of course, we now know that that was a little bit of behind the scenes planning because Anson mounts uh, as a father of a, a new new child and they, they planned it so that uh, he would have some time off. Claire Herbert uh, really enjoyed it. Lovely dive into more into Spock's character. Christy E said Ethan Peck is extraordinary. Watching Peck convey his struggles uh, with uh, Spock, uh, Spock's emotions is a brilliant avenue to explore. No, I don't want a romance with Chapel, but Spock having to differentiate his feelings will be great trek. Uh, regarding the action sequences of the episode, uh, Joanne Robertson, uh, who did like the episode and compared it to um, uh, Ocean's Eleven as far as stealing the Enterprise, says uh, uh, Dr. Mbenga can really keep things to himself. I was not expecting the juice moment at all. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was a good point. This guy is pretty good at keeping secrets. Uh, that's clearly a part of his character. Lance would go on to say, I liked it a lot. A good episode. I see they uh, stole something from the Expanse with the adrenaline shots they took. Father, I haven't seen The Expanse. That's a thing. 
on on there somewhere? Uh, I guess I don't okay. remember that being like a big thing in the expanse. Well, but... maybe not a big thing, but it happened. And likewise, someone said, uh, someone named Christian says, "I thought Bane was going to show up since they were using Venom." That's what I thought. <laughs> I think I said that. I said that last week. I was like, "That's Bane's Venom." Uh, let's see. Army Sergeant says, "No, how matter? No matter how much meth you consume, you are uh, you are not an unarmed combat master that can uh, push through twenty Klingons." Yeah. Which uh, I kind of agree. Dave, you and I <laughs> learned that the hard way. <laughs> what are we talking about? Smoking meth and trying to push our way through twenty. Oh yeah. Looks and it was a birthday party. What else are you gonna do? Yeah. Uh, Andrew B says I enjoyed it, but I don't know how I feel about we were secretly super soldiers all along, both in terms of a fit with Trek and long-term repercussions of that being a, a truth about the crew. It was definitely unexpected. And Sheratonis says the Mbenga and Chapel stuff was silly. Otherwise good? Spotted Giraffe, who we had on um, uh, just a couple weeks back, uh, says, aggressively fine, like my co-host put it. <laughs> Let's see. Um, opinions no one cares about over on our YouTube channel, where you can also comment, of course, says, uh, I totally support Vaminos for Ortegas, should she ever make captain. And I, I don't think that's I what think she that's... said. I don't think that's I, I know that's what the captions put, but I think she actually says Vamoose. No, no, because she's like Latina, right? I know, so I think that's why they thought it was Vaminos, but I think she says Vamoose. But... I, I think he said Vaminos. Okay, um, we'll have to I'm... ask, we'll have to ask uh, Melissa yeah. Navia. Uh, you know, I've got one I'm going to quick do, this is just a slightly longer one, one more, from Dan Kiefer, 8859, talking about, I guess, the point of view shots from the, uh, when they uh, juice up, says, augment shots. It's like uh, Khan in a can. Uh, I don't know, fellas. I'm a little worried about this season. I'd be more worried if it was all one storyline, but fortunately, Strange New Worlds can get away with those disappointments. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed Pelia. She was by far the best thing in the episode. Hopefully, they can use her to distract from the fact Akiva Goldsman is way too obsessed with Khan and seems to want to reduce the entire franchise to Star Trek II. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I at least take some of the uh, some of the criticism since that was very some, some Khan-like action there. Well... Speaking of con, yes, I think we're getting into some con business next week. Yeah. So uh, the uh, the episode. Uh, what's tomorrow, the episode? Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, which uh, Dave's pointed out as a Shakespeare quote. So as yeah. our as our resident armchair Shakespearean, he will. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know the full speech, but week. I know the next the next line is creeps in this petty pace. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a super grim soliloquy from uh, Macbeth. But we think um, we're getting a Kirk and and Laon time travel to mm. maybe the eugenics war, but something in modern day. So yeah, I, I think it's uh, that sounds pretty good. Uh, I just wanted to mention Laon had some really good scenes in the episode we just watched. She wasn't she wasn't as prominent as some of the others, but uh, but yeah, there's a whole there's a B story about like internalized bigotry mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. this episode. Yeah, her convo with Nira about it is great. And, uh, yeah, I don't expect to see, like, a ton of Anson Mount next week either. They, they they said, you know, they didn't put on much in the first episode because he just had, like, a newborn baby. And he's he's not in the second episode much more, but he is in it for sure more. But I think the, the third episode is probably going to be about the same amount of Pike. But the, the fourth episode, I think that's going to be – that's going to be when we get, like, a big Pike-centric story. So they're saving that, you know, for a while. But, yeah, next week it should be a Kirk and Laon and maybe Khan. Who knows? I think it's okay. it's uh, you know, possible other 21st century people show up, but I'd be down for a very focused episode if it's just the two of them or primarily them. But we shall see. And then for sure, if they if they do indeed zero in on the eugenics wars, that is ex an exciting thing because it's so frequently discussed yeah. in Trek. Especially but this rarely episode. Have we, 
Yeah, rarely have we been in the midst of it. Uh, if if that's what happens, they have to talk about like, yeah, we're we're uh, you know really strict about people modifying their DNA, but you know, remember how bad the eugenics wars were? So yeah, maybe they're actually gonna show that to us. Just like how they use that Tellerite to preview the <laughs> Teller Prime. <laughs> uh, folks should come back and uh, check that out, and be sure to stop by on Thursdays and say hi to the Thursday Night Crew and watch the first reaction streams. Dave and I will follow up with the the deep dive discussions on Fridays, also available wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, Snoopy McQueen has arrived just in time to uh, bless us with a very generous $5 super chat. So uh, thank you so much, Snoopy. And uh, everyone else, until next time, as always, live long and prosper, y'all. Listen to the Text Trek podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at text-trek.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash text-trek. And follow Fathery on Twitter at TXTrek. Please support us by liking our videos and subscribing to our channel on YouTube. Thank you and take care.